Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan Rourke, and I'm in studio today with just one other guy. I had my pick of the crop, and I decided to go with, with Father James Mell. And how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, Dan. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, you've been you've been away for a little while. You haven't been in studio a whole lot recently. You've had some some travels, as as uh, you you're apt to do with the ministry, uh, yeah. and sometimes not even just for the ministry. Sometimes for personal reasons. Yeah, I had some vacation time the last the last week or so, so I was I was away then, and so it's good to be back and getting ready to uh, leave again. Unfortunately, <laughs> so uh, it'll be a while before I'm back again. Yeah, we've had a, a lot of busy stretch. I mean, the ministry gets so active, and because we're active in, in different parts of the world, I know it's uh, you know we've got sort of a rotating cast of characters sometimes. But I'm always excited uh, when you get to be in studio and when we get to hang out. So uh, and it is summer, so we are a bit pared down. And uh, Ron, who the, the viewers and the listeners are used to seeing here, he's actually in Australia right now. He's doing a, a I think a ten day. Uh, 12 or 4 something like that yeah he's he's working hard he's working hard he did a he did a talk at a major conference last night in brisbane it was very well received and Mm. the next week or so he's traveling to different cities speaking to different uh, groups and meeting with some of our key uh, people there uh, who are parish leaders and and such who are involved with divine renovation yeah i got a question for you because it is summer summertime uh, one of the things i've i've noticed is a lot of churches actually reduce their um, their mass times now i know it's not summer for everybody in the world, I appreciate that. But but here in North America, it is summertime, and so some some parishes actually reduce their mass times in the summer. What what are your thoughts on that? Is that a good idea? A bad idea? <laughs> well, it depends. Again, with anything with an idea, it depends on your context. You know, you can't. It's good to be careful not to say this is a good or that this this is bad. I think uh, for some parishes, it's a it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is that summer is. Things are a bit slower, and we do need to have a cycle where we, where we rest a bit more. Um, a couple of weeks ago, myself and Rob McDowell, one of our coaches, we did a webinar on the whole question of the summer and the, and the rhythm in a parish during, the, during the, the summer. I think as a, as a matter of, you know, of, of, you know in most parishes, they're, they're, most parishes have more masses than they need, perhaps. Uh-huh. You know, yep. so it... It is a sensitive thing because we've be, we've we very much adopted um, a model of church where we offer uh, uh, services mass times to people, uh, and the primary value often is convenience. So we we fell into the trap of multiple mass times, which you know maybe twenty thirty years ago was needed. But the problem is that is that we we didn't remove any of the mass times, and so at least in my own diocese we still have in most parishes way more masses than we need and. It's said that when a when a church is about eighty percent full in its capacity, that that's a full church. That that's a full church, and parishes really need to sit down and and count the number of people and do the math and really ask the question: Do we need this many masses? Not just in the summertime, but period. Yeah. Because if you get too many, then you're 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 dispersing your energies. If you if you want to have a uh, a high quality weekend experience, experience of of, of Sunday mass, and you, people may argue, well. The mass is the mass is the mass. It doesn't matter the quality. That that's a very human way of looking at the mass. Mm-hmm. Objectively, yes. Uh, the every single celebration of the Eucharist is objectively the the once and for all self offering of Jesus to to the Father. It's 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 the purest form of worship that we can have, and you know by itself it is it is objectively such. Yep. But the Church also teaches us about the fruitfulness of the sacraments. 
uh, are influenced by many other factors. And so things like good preaching, good hospitality, good music are very key to unlocking the fruitfulness of the sacraments. And if your your energies are disseminated through a mass schedule, a mass schedule that's, that, that, that's not needed, then you, the quality of these things goes down. So I, I, I've seen parishes that have seven weekend masses where they could get away with three. Yeah. And imagine if you brought all those people, not just the people in ministry together, but even the people of the parish together. You know, the, the, the Eucharist is about, is about gathering people together. And often with our mass schedules, we scatter people. So if you can address that in the summertime, that's a good thing. Here's a little trick that, that once you have it in the summer, if you're in that kind of parish where you have an overpopulated mass schedule, maybe after a period of summer, you might go to your, 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 your parishioners and say, you know, we've had this experience of reduced mass time and the, here's what we've experienced. It's been great to come together. We've been able to actually have the pastor preach all the masses. You give all the good reasons and say, we're going to try a little experiment uh, for the next couple of months that as we return into a regular schedule that we're actually going to keep the summer mass keep schedule. The summer mass that's schedule. A little, some, some parishes have found that that's a, a good way to address that problem and to ease into it. And I think so. I think uh, we've had a number of parishes actually apply to the coaching network, the Divine Renovation Network, in the last few weeks. And uh, one of the cool things, right? And, and you get these emails too, right? They have to fill out this big form, and so we get a good sense of like how many people attend their their mm-hmm. parish and how many people, how many masses they do, and 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 we get all that information. And it's some of it's really fascinating because you can you can look at some of these papers. And you go, ooh. They're well, doing a lot of mass for a lot, well, not a lot there's, of people there's sometimes. Some, there's some churches that we've spoken to. They have, like, uh, their their churches are twenty percent filled on a Sunday mass. Twenty percent filled. I mean, they could cut their masses down by seventy five percent and not have anywhere near a full church. And you could uh, triple the the resources that you have to. Why, do you, to, why don't they do it? What, 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 because people are afraid of. People are afraid. Of you. You, that's the most sacred thing for the average Catholic. I mean, you you, you want to get pushback, change a mass time. I mean, you almost get death threats. I mean, people go ballistic, you know, because here's the thing, when, we're, when you're not a missionary church, you're, you're the, cons- the primary driving model of church life is, 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 is that of a consumer. Mm-hmm. And consumers want preferences. And so you don't touch my preferences. Here, we have an unwritten agreement that you're here to provide these services for me. You give me a convenient mass time and and don't don't mess with it don't mess with my favorite mass time and and sadly uh when our church and how and what we do and when we do it is primarily driven by by people's preferences and not by a commitment to mission in terms of what's the most effective thing that will drive the mission forward that's that's one of the things that contributes to the malaise and the ineffectiveness of our, of, our, of what we do. Wow, I feel like I should give you a, a loony for fitting the word malaise into a podcast. That's a, it's a beautiful word, malaise. The, that's, that's, now, one of the things too that for for many parishes, like the priests that I speak to, they're often uh, running from mass to mass to mass and jumping in, into cars and going to different buildings and and in in many ways it, it can be exhausting. Yeah, it, and. And yet at the same time, when one of the, the priests, no matter the particular giftedness of priests that I speak with, when you ask them what's most life-giving in your ministry, although guys have different types of gifts, almost every single priest says uh, a beautiful celebration of the Eucharist, like a Sunday Eucharist when you're gathering with the faithful and there's dynamic worship, there's, there's singing, and, and that is just so life-giving. That is mm. amazing, amazing. And yet 
rather than than doing that, we often disperse, and that's that's what's what's tragic. And and the community doesn't get a sense of itself because you often have. Yep. Uh, different worshiping communities within one parish and 80% of the people that go to this mass time never venture beyond it and have any encounter with people from other mass times. So it's, it's funny to hear us talking about some of this stuff because I was, um, I was rereading Rebuilt by, by Father, Father Michael and, and, and Tom. And uh, when you even just now, I haven't done my full reread of it, but if, just, if you go through the introduction, the first couple chapters, they talk about what they walked into, right? Yeah. And, and they talk about that consumer culture and how they were like, you know, they walked into the sort of the preferences and everything. And it's, it's, it's so... And, and the fact that they, they just imitated, they presumed a model of ministry that is built around meeting people's perceived needs. Right. And the, yeah, perceived needs. Perceived and the, needs. And, and, the, and the demands that accompany those needs. Yeah. And, and think, of, think of parenting. I mean, imagine as parents, if you model your strategy for how to be a parent was, let's respond to the perceived needs of our children. How would that work? <laughs> as, a, as a parent of three, my kids would have nothing but chocolate in their diets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, they, they perceive a need of nonstop chocolate, occasionally some ice cream. And that's definitely one of one of the the wonderful things I love about the book Rebuilt is that the fact that, of how Father Mike and Tom really, really expose that consumer dynamic that, yeah. that drives a lot of our churches and. And oftentimes it's fear of, of conflict and pushback that, that will lead priests to hesitate uh, changing it, tackling something like a mass time because you will, you will lose people, especially if you're in a city and there's a nearby parish. Mm-hmm. I, I've experienced this time and time again in every parish I've been in when I've, had to, when I've dealt with the issue of changing mass schedules, no matter how, many, how much people will talk about how loyal they are to the parish and that they've been in the parish for so many generations and, and such that... People will ultimately show that their their primary loyalty is not to a parish or to a worshiping community or even a particular style of music in any particular mass. Their primary uh, loyalty is to that mass time. Mm. So if you move the nine o'clock mass, they will they will drive ten they minutes, fifteen minutes across. They will find a nine a.m. nine a.m. mass somewhere else in the city, because that's their primary commitment. They will if you change the music style in a Sunday morning mass. They will endure that style even though they hate it because their primary commitment is to that particular mass time because we're creatures of habit. Yeah. Creatures of habit. So, so here's what I love about the summer months. Uh, it's not only is it a time to, to, to possibly look at your mass, uh, your mass schedule and, and maybe make adjustments if you're in, in that kind of situation. But for me, it's a time for me to revisit books and to read new books. And one of the ones I'm reading now, of course, is Rebuilt. What about you? Do you read in the summer? What's, what's your pattern yeah, look I read, like? I read in the summer. I, I enjoy I've got a got a novel a few novels on the on the go i've also like stephen king or like <laughs> danielle uh, Steele. Like, I, like, I like historical novels oh, of course well, i was on vacation i was in rome mm-hmm. and uh, i was in rome for a few days with uh, a priest friend of mine and we also went to sicily so i have a there's an author who writes historical novels about ancient rome and about centurions and roman soldiers and i like that stuff <laughs> so, lots of, lots so i'm sure you're learning a lot from your roman soldiers and i, I suspect we could we could put it, a, it is good uh, but i've also got some yeah. I've also got some books on, on, in fact, I'm reading a book, got it right here, right here. It's called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolzinger, who is uh, Presbyterian, from a Presbyterian background. He uh, is associate pastor in the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, and he teaches at a seminary as well. And uh, one of the coaches in our network gave me this book as a gift. Oh, really? Shout out to Kurt Clement. And if you think about the term canoeing the mountains, 
Hmm. It's very, very strange. You know, you don't take canoes on the mountains. But basically, it, it's subtitled Christian Leadership in Uncharted Uncharted Territory. And he tells the story of Lewis and Clark, the great explorers who uh, sought the, the, uh, the, the, the Northeast northeastern passage and yep. so they they got their canoes and they went to the head of the of, of of the i think oh my goodness i think the missouri river perhaps i could get that wrong but they they took their canoes and then they portaged and they climbed the mountain and they expected when they when when they crested the mountain they expected to see the river that would take them right to the pacific they expected to see ahead of them what they had known before they made all kinds of presumptions they just presumed it they had their canoes and of course they got to the top of the mountain and they looked out and all they saw was the Rocky Mountains, mountains and mountains and mountains. So they had to finally decide, are we going to try to canoe the mountains or are we going to throw away our canoes and get horses? And it's about, the whole book is about the task of Christian leadership is we are now into uh, a post-Christendom era. You know, mm. Christendom is, is gone, but yet we're still carrying our canoes. We're still holding on to huh. models of leadership metaphor, yeah. from what we've known. And we presume that as we as we climb the mountain and look ahead, we presume that what we're going to see ahead of us is is what was behind us. Yeah. And it comes back to that that great quote from from Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium, chapter twenty seven, about how he dreams of a missionary option capable of transforming everything, so that our ways of doing things, our methods, uh, can can be changed. And that's that's the task that lies ahead of us because the the model of of church life of evangelization of discipleship and especially the model of leadership the particular model of leadership that we've had in the church it needs to change yeah. uh, the, the leadership that we need going forward is is not the leadership that we needed for a, a Christendom era church right and I, I find so. Uh, I think in my experience, when, when you're in a leadership role, I think we need to constantly be feeding ourselves with, with, with new approaches and understandings. And I think, the, the, for me anyways, the summer months are one of those few times where we actually get to delve into um, uh, exploring uh, books and, uh, and other materials that sort of feed us. Yeah. Um, how do you go about finding stuff? I mean, that one was given to you by one of our coaches, Kurt Clement. How do you... Yeah, I find if in, in conversation with, with, with other leaders, you usually just make these connections. You know, mm. that's how I've... Uh, other books that I've been reading recently, they're, they're books that have been recommended by people who, who are familiar with what I'm, what I'm passionate about. And uh, for instance, I, I was on, uh, just yesterday, I had a, a call with, uh, I, I, do, I, I receive coaching uh, on on strength finders, I've been I've been working with a with 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 a strength finder coach. I think that's worth saying again because I think a lot of people might find that surprising. Not oh, only do boy. you do coaching. But you, you, you receive coaching. Yeah, because we're, we're always can grow and learn. And, and there's so much for us to learn. And mm-hmm. there's so much that I, that I don't know. And, and then you find out there's so much that I didn't know that I didn't know. You know so that's, that, that's the call <laughs> yeah. to, co- to constantly learn. And I was sharing with uh, my, my, my coach that next week I'm going to Manila. I'm going to the Philippines. And I'm going to be speaking at the Philippine Conference on New Evangelization in a I don't know much about it, but apparently it's a big deal. There's a lot of people, and I'm told there's going to be uh, 5,000 priests and religious leaders and and, 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 
and religious and about 5,000 lay leaders as well. So like around 10,000 people total. Uh, that's what I'm told, about 10,000 people. And I've got to do two keynotes. And I like how you say that's what I'm told, how I'm told. I, I, well, want, some, no, I want you to do a head count while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> right, everyone, sum it off. One, two, three. Because often you, you, people will say, oh, there's this many people. And you go yeah. and it might not be exactly that. But mm-hmm. that's my understanding. And I'm, I'm giving uh, two two keynotes at a plenary session. And then I'm doing a, a series of breakouts. And... The topic they gave me was very intriguing because it's actually going to, I have to create a new talk because I've never quite given a talk on this topic and I'm I'm really excited about it. And it's on this talk, it's on this very issue of we need to change our model of leadership. We need a different type of model of leadership. And even in the Philippines, which is this probably one of the top Catholic countries in the world, they're they're feeling this this culture shift. They're, they're feeling the ground beneath them shake, mm-hmm. and and they're realizing that that they can't um, rest on cultural Catholicism anymore. They, we we've got to be in the business of making disciples, and that's going to require a change in in the, the model of leadership. And that's what they want me to to focus on. But in the title of the talk, they t- they talked about about servant leadership. And some some of you watching, listening may may have heard that phrase before, servant leadership. And been reflecting on it a lot and anyway I, I was sharing this with with my coach and he put me in touch he said have you ever heard of the writings of a writer called uh, Dr. Karen Keller uh, she is a, a clinical psychologist and has uh, written a, a great deal on on the subject of influence leadership is influence and that's essentially in the divine renovation ministry we often talk about leadership as influence and how it differs from positional leadership, mm-hmm. which was the traditional way, not just in the church, but in society as a whole. People, we gave, we, we gave respect to positional leadership, whether it was a doctor or a teacher or a politician or a, a, a priest, a bishop. It was like there was an immediate respect that was given. You, you got people's attention because of your position. Yep. It doesn't happen anymore. We live in a very, very, very different world. I mean, and so it's not just within the church. So people no longer respond necessarily to positional leadership. They respond to, to uh, personal leadership, or the, the leadership that comes from who you are, comes yeah. from your character. And that's, that's the question of influence versus, versus a role. Because you can, you can have the title, you can have the, the office, but if you don't have the influence, you're not going to lead anyone. You, you might intimidate or threaten people, uh, but, and, and sometimes that's the kind of leadership that, that functions within organizations. So that's I, how it functions. I don't want to get on a plane and travel 24 or some odd hours to the Philippines. <laughs> so why don't you give me a little more of a glimpse of what, what, what you'll share while you're there? Well, I haven't, this is just, this is the first talk this, uh, that I'm thinking about. I haven't produced it yet, but here's, here are the thoughts, I guess, a little preview. I, I've always been struck by what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. It's the only as far as I can see in the Gospels, it's the only direct teaching he gave about leadership, the only direct teaching. There were many indirect things that he said, but it's the story when um, Jesus and the Twelve are, are going towards Jerusalem, and of course, uh, James and John uh, approach him to say, you know, will you allow us to sit at your right and your left when you come in your kingdom? And what's interesting is that at this point, they're still thinking of Jesus' kingdom in an earthly way, as a, yeah, as of earthly course, power, yeah. and to sit at the right and the left—that that—that's to be your 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 second in the command and your and your third in command. Mm-hmm. That's positional leadership. That's a, a role of visible authority, and that's of course when they have the the that 
where Jesus kind of cons them, you know, can you drink the cup that my father, yes, yes, we can drink it. Well, guess what? You're going to drink it and you ain't getting the seats. And they're like, <laughs> oh, you know, like darn. But then we hear that, that the, uh, when the 10 heard it, this is in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. When the 10 heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant and who wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This in a capsule is is the essence of Christian leadership. In fact, I almost believe that within the church, when we talk about leadership, calling it servant leadership is is redundant. Mm. Because if it's not servant leadership, what kind of leadership is it? It's not Christian. Right. This is the, the very model. Jesus says it is not to be so amongst you. The, the, the model of Christian leadership is to serve, to serve others. Now, it's still an exercise of leadership, but think about it. Jesus says, it's, it's very explicit, it is not to be so among you. But think about the history of the church. We have, we have embodied and embraced earthly, earthly models of leadership. Structures, yeah. You know, in, in the Middle Ages, the... Because you know the, the the barbarian invasions and and uh, the the you know the the, the Roman Empire the, the court went went to, to Constantinople, and you know the popes at the time were the only organizations left to kind of uh, look after things and, and very very quickly the church leaders be, ended up becoming civic leaders mm-hmm. and by the Middle Ages you've got you know bishops being called princes. And, and taking on the trappings of nobility, coats of arms and titles like your eminence and your excellency and your, your whatever, you're this and you're that and my lords. And, and we still say that today in French, a bishop is called Monseigneur. And in English, we use the term Monseigneur, but that means my lord. Mm. Well, that's what the nobility was called, my lord. Uh, and so we, we took on earthly uh, models of, of leadership and we still have that. We still have that, that kind of model of lording it over. Uh, and even today, sometimes bishops and others can maybe work as a kind of a CEO. Their model of leadership is almost like a, like a CEO. They're from top down. You talk about how many people report to me. It's top down. It's a mm. top down thing. Jesus said, it is not to be so amongst you. So here's the... Sorry, I'm on a, on a bit of a bit of a. You're role. on a tear. Keep going. Well, well, what I'm working out my talk right now as we as we as we talk. But what's curious is is that in the past, where positional leadership sufficed in a in a Christendom model, in a when when the church could function fairly well in a maintenance model within Christendom, uh, today that style of leadership is you know no one is going to follow a leader because he or she says this is what you have to do. They might grudgingly do the minimal amount of work possible if getting paid is is what they want at the end of a week. And so, uh, but then if that's the, the, the culture in your organization, then you've got to have timesheets and you're going to have, uh, you've got to have bosses who basically spy on you to make sure you're not ripping them off because it, it's the whole thing is based on, 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 on threat, right? Yeah. So it's the difference between a, a boss a boss model who basically threatens you with the consequences if you don't do what you're told. Yeah. Well, that's one way to do it. 
And, and then there's servant leadership, which is based on influence, which is about inspiring people and, and making people want to d- desire. I mean, they're not even going to, once you get to that place, they're not going to just do the bare minimum. They're going to go up above and beyond because they love it. And it's not rooted in what we want from people. It's what we want for people because this is life-giving in and of itself. And so that's the influence. Um, What's what's interesting is is what I've discovered on the writings of the, of this this doctor Karen Keller is that she's done some research into into what influence is and I've you know I've been reflecting a lot over the years and talking about influence. Uh, influence comes from the uh, a Latin word influere, which means to flow into, hmm. and so when we flow into someone that that's that that's influencing. And um, what she's done, she's she's identified. Um, well, she, she points this out. She says, think about some of the most amazing leaders in the history of the world, even recently, like someone like Mother Teresa. Like, like who, who even knows what the Bishop of Calcutta's name was in the 80s? Like, no one knows. Like, the guy with positional authority, no one knows who he is. Yeah. But everyone knows who M- Mother Teresa was. Uh, she changed the world. She had no real strong positional leadership, yet she was a woman of incredible influence. influence. You think of someone like, like Gandhi, um, People who had no kind of solid earthly role. Think of Jesus himself. Mm. He he was from the north. He wasn't he wasn't a priest. He he wasn't uh, a, he wasn't a member of the Sadducees. Or he wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a, me- a member of any of these religious orders. He wasn't a rabbi, even though he was called rabbi. He wasn't a formal rabbi. He had no formal role, no formal position, and yet he had authority because of who he was, and he had incredible influence because of who. He was. This uh, this doctor has done some interesting research, and I just found out about this yesterday. But uh, she talked about the, the the chemicals in the brain. You know, so if you think about uh, a boss model of leadership, which is about you know, if you don't do what I tell you, you're get the, you're, you're going to have to pay the consequences. Uh, either I will punish you, or I will th- or I with I will withhold a reward. That's kind of, uh, it's about compelling people. It's, it's often fear-based. It's, it's based on threat. I mean, right. here's the clear consequences. You do this, this is what will happen to you. It's based on threat. Now, what happens to us when we experience something that threatens us? We retreat. We might retreat. We're not, we're, we might also not retreat. It's fight or flight, right? Yes. You might flee or you might attack. Yep. And what, what drives that response is, is when we experience the threat, we have cortisol gets released into our system, which clenches up our fists. It causes the blood to leave our brain and go down into our arms so arms and our legs so we can either fight or we can flight, yeah. <laughs> be in flight, we can run. And, and so if you think about that traditional model of leadership that's based on threat and compelling people, it releases cortisol, uh, fight or flight. On the other hand, uh, when you talk about influence, uh, and she talks about seven traits of, 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 of influence, but when you talk about servant leadership in terms of supporting and in, in, in it being rooted in what we want for people, not from them, and it's rooted in loving and caring for people, what the studies have shown is that it releases uh, oxytocin and dopamine. And, hmm. and these are... Uh, Chemicals re- related to the, the pleasure centers, a sense of well-being and pleasure with, with, within, the, within the, 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 the human person. So it's, it, there's a chemical uh, pathway, in a sense, to 
uh, or there's this chemical evidence of the effectiveness of this kind of the model. Of, of, so of, you're seeing of the leadership. chemical evidence of the two yeah. styles of, of leadership, whether yeah. it's the more traditional, I'm a boss and, uh, you know, here's what you got to do today, James. If you don't get it done, I'm going to wag my finger at you uh, versus the uh, I'm here to help you do your job better. Um yeah, and, and it's relation. It's rooted relationally, and it's in the long term. It's much more effective and bears much more fruit. Can you speak at all about the the seven? What, yeah, what you said seven. So I'm still discovering this because uh, I just heard about this yesterday, and I've been online, and I I try to order her book. She has a book called Influence, the the the, the, the missing piece. But I think we have something uh, a graphic to go to go on. For those of us watching versus listening. Yeah. So she she identifies seven factors that, that contribute to influence. The first one, and I don't have time to really unpack these, but you can Google her, um, uh, Dr. Karen Keller. The first one is confidence. That it's a, it's a characteristic of those who have influence is a sense of confidence. Second one is a commitment. Mm -hmm. The third is empowering. And that simply means that instead of, you know, me needing to do everything myself, I actually, you know, a person of influence is able to not just inspire others, but to actually empower them to hand, to allow them to take on responsibility, courage, uh, because if you're influential, you're, you're going to possibly experience some kind of pushback and you're going to need to be courageous. Passion is a key thing. You need to be passionate. Uh, trustworthiness, that you actually earn respect. And that's one of the things that uh, Todd Bolzinger talks about in Canoeing the Mountains because he, he compares leadership on the map to leadership off the map because what happened when Lewis and Clark uh, moved beyond the mountain range, they, there was no map. Yeah. Uh, and he said, no one's going to follow you off the map if you haven't build up, if you haven't proven yourself trustworthy on the map mm -hmm. in, in your leadership. So trustworthiness. And the next one is, is likability. And likability is not just about manipulating people. It's really about authentically caring for people. And so she takes these seven traits and she breaks them out uh, in, in, in greater detail. And to be honest, this is the first time I've ever seen influence broken up like this and, and al analyzed a bit more closely. And she says it's these kinds of traits that actually uh, will contribute to the release of these, you know, the dopamine and the ox oxytocin that, that, that creates a sense of well-being and creates relationships and friendship and is, it is, is really most fruitful and much more fruitful than, than simply being compelled by threats. So this is going to save a lot of people the, uh, the the duty of having to get on a plane and fly to the Philippines because now that one of your talks anyways <laughs> has got with well, the Cole's notes the brief notes yeah on. The, this is uh, unprocessed stuff I got to yeah. I've got to kind of lay it out I've I've got to give this talk over the course of an hour and a half so it needs to be a bit more content than that <laughs> but uh, we, we, well, I think we it's will fascinating I think it's really it, it think it's fascinating and I think you know. We've, we've often, at the Byron Innovation, we often speak about the, the nature of leadership and how the nature of it is to, to be supportive of those who, who we work with. And so, you know, when we're in leadership roles, we have to support those in ministry uh, that, that are, are activating. And I, I know I've seen you draw the upside down. Um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is so key for us, Dan, because, you know, like leadership is so key. And, and I continue to see this, that it stands or falls in leadership. Leaders, whether it's the mm -hmm. parish priest, the pastor of a church, or a bishop, you can either be a bottleneck or, or a bottle opener. And the task of leadership is to unleash the other gifts. And yet leadership, bad leadership, can shut everything down. It can kill what God wants to do. Yeah. And we still so often rely on the, the kind of boss 
model, the worldly model of leadership that Jesus said, it is not to be so amongst, amongst you. And I see it time and time and time again, very kind of dysfunctional leadership models within the church that simply based on, I'm ordering you to do this, and there'll be consequences otherwise. And even hear things in, in places saying, you know, we're not here to be friends. Well, sorry, the research shows that some of the best things for, for team effectiveness in mission effectiveness can be the existence of friendships within teams, authentic friendships, deep friendships, even, you know, uh, not even, but Gallup recognized this in one of their, one of their questions in their, in their, in their Q12 and the Emmys at 25 around organizational health is the question says, I have a best friend in this organization. Mm-hmm. And over the years, people have said, well, can it just say a friend? Uh, isn't that enough to say I have a friend? No, no, they're very intentional. When you can, when you can say I strongly agree with the statement, I have a best friend in, my, in, this, in, in this organization, that truly uh, usually reflects a very healthy organization. You remember when we were up on, on stage at DR18, it was our, our leadership team, the Divine Renovation leadership team, and I, remember, I can't remember what the exact question was that we were asked from, from the audience, um, but it was, you know, some, some of the, it was a question about how do you build relationships in the team, something like that. And I can remember saying, and, and, and I know the room thought I was crazy, but I said, no, no, write this down. Um, breakfast. <laughs> and I said, you know, it, it, it's it's croissants, peanut butter, and eggs. And because I think it's something that our team does at Divine Renovation that I think actually is 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 important to the, sort of the fabric of what we are. In that every week our team comes together and we have breakfast together and yeah. with a time of fellowship. And it, it, we we take we take opportunities to now, invest in. And each let's other let's be clear. Like you said about upside down pyramid, and 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 I think I think in a sense that's important. Like people say, oh, that's not really important. Like who cares? But. When we draw up, when we draw an org chart that has the boss man or woman at the top and everyone underneath, it's top down. It, it's it's lording it over. It's Jesus mm. says it's not to be so amongst you. And I think let's flip those org charts. Let's let's have the leader at the bottom, supporting four people, and each of those four people supporting four other people, and and everyone supporting. And 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 Ron is is being really strong about this. You know, he's really caught us out when we talk about reports. I mean, I used to use that language. Oh, I've got so many direct reports. And he said, and he said no, you've got, you've got direct supports. Mm. You, get, no, you don't have people reporting to you. You've got people for whom you are responsible to, your, your responsibility is to support them. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't set goals, that there's no accountability. Uh, in a healthy organization, there has to be accountability. But if an, a team member is, 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 is failing to meet goals... The starting presumption isn't that, okay, there's something wrong with you. The starting presumption is, okay, what have we not done? I mean, that's where you begin. Yeah. Because if there's a failure in an organization, it's first and foremost a failure in leadership. Because either you haven't set that person up for success or you haven't uh, addressed the failure because most people don't, don't just fail overnight. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an ongoing thing that happens. And if your eyes are not open, if you're not recognizing it, then that's a problem of, lead, of the leadership. Yeah, we haven't equipped or, or yeah. give this, given the right stage for a person to be successful. That's Absolutely. right. Yeah. That's right. And, and some of the signs of an unhealthy organization is, is when, you know, employees are told that basically you're, you're doing a terrible job and uh, either you're fired or you've got a couple of months to turn this around. And it's like, well, how long have you been known I've been doing a terrible job? How come you're just telling me now? Yeah. You know, there should be constant feedback. And so I think that's the starting presumption. I mean, you work with people and eventually they, they might come to the conclusion where, where this isn't the right fit. Yep. Because when, when people are failing at their job, you know, deep down they always know it. And, and it's, it, it really affects their sense of 
integrity as well and and, and self-confidence. It can be a very costly thing to be in a job where you're passions your gifts are not are not well matched yeah. or you're not a match for the for the culture of that particular parish or organization, organization. Yeah. and so we do everyone a favor when we help people to move on and yeah you say well helping people to move on that's just a nice fancy word for firing people okay fair enough it is uh but i, I do think language is important and firing is you know uh, you know you're fired it, it's it, it's very much the language of 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 utility you know, you're not you. You no longer contribute to this organization. I'm, you're fired. It's a it's punishment. Mm-hmm. Whereas helping people to move on, you, it's not just language. I think language is often reflective. Well, of I think you fire someone who embezzles. You help someone move on if they're not performing <laughs> as well as they are. Well, even if they embezzle, we can help them move on. Uh, maybe to a, maybe to a prison cell. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a thing that even in the face of. Mm behavior that's that's unacceptable and immoral and not just inappropriate that that we still care for people isn't that the way it's supposed to be and so i think language is important and i would love to see uh more than a nod to this i really think there's there's something significant to that and i'd love to see in our church all of our org charts be upside down org charts i'd actually love to see can we get maybe i get into trouble for saying this why are we still clinging to medieval uh titles of, of, of respect to, to our church leaders. Why are we still calling them your eminence and your excellency and your lordship and blah, blah, blah? Like, what the heck? Like, read the gospel. Sorry, <laughs> probably in trouble for saying that. But like, why? Like, who says we have, why are we stuck in that? It, it, people say, well, I don't want to be disrespectful. I, I think we can find other ways to show our respect for leadership without imitating the models of of the world, a world of a bygone era. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot you off of a danger territory here. Yes, thank you. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to speak about something I know very little about. Are you are you open to me talking about stuff I don't know much about? Sure. Okay, excellent. Vacation Bible school. Uh, so we're we're here, of course, in Canada. We're in the summertime, so we're we're hitting vacation Bible school season. So uh, I know not I don't know if vacation Bible school is something that happens everywhere in the world. No. Um, so, but here in Canada, it's it's typically about one week long, and it's an opportunity for kids to come together. Now, my wife Laura, she's the one who runs uh, VBS Vacation Bible School here in um, at St. Benedict Parish. And what I just wanted to share something that I really loved, and um, she sent a, a note around to the the team uh, at St. Benedict Parish. And she said, here's what I want you guys to think. And so she sent this to the, the, the team, the leads. And she said, I want you to think of Vacation Bible School as Kid Alpha. This is our opportunity mm-hmm. to reach out to new kids. That's right. And I, I, it, for this is like, this is a neat little shift that I think she's, she's really brought into the mentality of, of VBS. Because uh, I think our, our VBS has always been very full. But her goal is for for it to be a to create a culture of invitation among the kids, yep. and and VBS is is sort of the one of the key leverage points for that to happen. And I I just think that's so I think I get excited about it because I, you know we want more kids at our parish. We've got lots. We want yep. more. But this is a, a wonderful time for kids to be able to evangelize their their friends by inviting them to something that is yep. so. I mean I, I've always believed in that. It's my, my very first year as a pastor for the first time. We we. Um, we had a program called Catholic Catholic Kids Net, and basically it was. I mean, VPS is a generic title, Vacation Bible School. It comes yep. from a, a non-Catholic context, but fair enough. You know, it, what is it? It's a it's a fun time during the day for five days, and it's 
it's evangelistically focused and it's and it's invitational. You can have kids who don't normally come to church. You can reach families who don't normally come come to church. Uh, you can reach families who are new in, in 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 the neighborhood. And you also your own kids have an an amazing time, and it's a great way to build up leaders and have your your teenagers be on team. So there are wins in many many ways. And over the years as a pastor, in every single parish I've been in, we've we've done we've always done this, mm-hmm. and it's been very very fruitful. I think it's. I love the. I love the fact that we've got that invitational sense, and that it's it's culturally appropriate no matter what age level. I mean, yeah. it goes right back to our game plan in terms of what we're trying to achieve as a parish. That's right. yeah. So I love that. Uh, so a, a couple uh, a couple final thoughts because we are in summer here, yes. And so we're going to actually be reducing the number of podcasts that we, we release because we've got a number of people that are both traveling for for work related conferences, and also we've got some people taking vacation, uh, which I think our, our team much deserves. So I, I wanted to flag for 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 people who are listening that you'll see sort of, uh, it might be a bit erratic, our, our schedule over the next uh, month and a half or so as uh, as we do these various times off and, and people are in studio and not in studio. And so if you're, if you're used to our, our podcast coming out every week, uh, get unused to it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not going to be quite that way. Uh, anything else uh, that you want well, to Well, I think if, uh, if any of you are watching or listening from, from Manila, we're going to be, uh, it's going to be the thriller in Manila. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> really bad. It was but bad. I, I hope to, maybe, maybe I'll see you there. And also I'm going to, after that, I'm going to go to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for a few days and I'm doing uh, an evening open session there. I think, I'm not entirely sure, but it's, it's on our website. So maybe if you're there, you can come and say hello. And if you're listening from Australia, look out for Ron Huntley. He might be coming to a city near you. And if you just happen to be listening from home on our website and on our app, we have something called we call Click to Commit, which is just committing yourself to to being on mission, to recognizing that uh, that you know you want your parish to move from maintenance to mission. So if you haven't been to our website and clicked to commit yet, or if you haven't done it on the app, I urge you to do so. Part of our goal here is just to get a sense of the number of people around the world who are who are enthusiastically embracing mission. It's it's, it's I think it's key to to our identity as Christians, and I and I I hope you're willing to take the the step to to actually join on. Uh, on the website. So thanks so much. God bless. And we'll see you again soon.